we've got to celebrate our people and we've got to invest in them. We have to invest in them. I don't care who you are in what um, what you do for a living. We have made such a horrible mistake in the hospitality industry of not continuing to invest in our people. And that that's a huge issue that's that's happening right now. That is, we're bringing people into our, we're begging people to come into our organization. Exactly. But we're not giving anything to them for them to want to continue to pursue, to continue to push themselves within our organization. Thanks again for being with us on the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. I'm constantly amazed at what people do in this business and their career trajectories. Well, my guest today is the definition of the word hospitality. That is the foundation of our business. And he literally worked his way up through the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, worked in restaurants, worked in entertainment, and then ultimately founded the Ellis Adams Group, which is an international hospitality consulting firm. And they focus on all aspects of business building and branding, concept, design development, training, management, Profit margin increases, you name it, all the key elements are there. Now, they currently have a 100 projects going around the globe, which is pretty amazing stuff. This episode is all about hospitality. Don't miss it. Stay with us. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant. This is a high-risk, high-fail business. It's a treacherous road, and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. You don't just want to run a restaurant. You want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. Join the Academy, and I'll show you how it's done. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. And with me today, Mr. Chris Adams. He is a luxury hospitality leader and also the CEO and founder of Ellis Adams Group. Welcome to the show, Chris. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Well, you know, I wish that um, we had... Well, we're actually learning more and more about luxury hospitality. We've had a couple of different hospitality hotel groups, you know, on a large scale, but this one is obviously the biggest so far. And we do have an audience of hotel operators with restaurants within their hotels. So I think it's totally relevant that you're here, but you have so much to share. So I'm excited to have you with us. Why don't you start, Chris, by again, telling us your hospitality backstory, and then I'm going to ask you what your definition of luxury hospitality is, but take us through that first. For sure. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, I didn't grow up in hospitality. You know, I, I didn't have that uh, going through school as you know, a server going through school or anything like that. Um, I actually grew up in the entertainment industry. And um, by chance, uh, it was a summer job that was supposed to keep me out of trouble. (laughs) And um, it was a part-time, yeah, exactly. It was a part-time pool attendant position with Rich Carlton Hotels. Uh, I had no clue what I was walking into. Didn't know what to expect. I just knew that, um, you know, it would give me something to do for the summer and we'll we'll go from there. And uh, two days into that countdown, um, I knew this is where I was supposed to be. And my life forever changed from that moment on. I walked away from music, 
worked my tail off. Um, and 20 plus years later, I have, you know, in my opinion, the coolest job on the planet. And so it was, it was not something that was planned. It wasn't a trajectory that I was, you know, I was shooting for when I went into that position, but I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that when I was sitting in that room and listening to them talk about what hospitality was and what the culture was of Ritz Carlton, it was it. I I just, it's something, it struck a chord with me. It's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I have no clue what this hospitality thing is, but it's it's where I'm supposed to be. Um, and I think it, that was the moment that I figured out what my purpose was. Um, and the rest is history. You know, that's so interesting. We share a similar background in that my first job, I started out at a private country club as a dishwasher. That only lasted a couple of weeks and they saw something special in me and they quickly promoted me to bartender, even though I didn't know how to bartend. So I got trained. in the way it happens, man. Yeah, right. So I quickly (laughs) got trained, but now I'm in charge of, you know, all the, all the, the pros and the and the club members that came through on a daily basis and I'm mixing their martinis in between rounds of golf. And I quickly realized the connection because they're throwing this. I was a teenager as well. They're throwing $20 bills at me every time I serve them a drink. And although that was really great money when I was in high school, I realized that there was something genuine about delivering great service that was my indoctrination in the hospitality. And, and I'm sure, you know, at Ritz Carlton, when you're a pool attendant, I'm sure people are tipping you and giving you gratuities, but that's not why you do it. It's like, okay, this was a summer job for you, but then suddenly it became something more, but it triggered that whole initial thought about what hospitality means. And, and now you've gone on to such great heights. So take us after that, what you did next. Yeah, you know, and uh, to piggyback on what you're saying, I couldn't agree more. I think hospitality is one of those things where it's either in you or it's not. Um, And it's a, Marriott calls it a spirit to serve. I I call it, Mm. you have a heart for others. Um, I I didn't realize growing up that my grandparents um, had a four bedroom home and there was never a time from the time I can, I have memories as as a child until when my grandparents passed away, there was never a time I can think about that there wasn't someone living in one of the bedrooms that I didn't know, but they became uncle so-and-so or aunt so-and-so. And my grandparents were this, those people that their house was always open and they were taking in people that were you know, down in their luck or in between jobs or just passing through town. Yeah. And they were the ultimate hoteliers. And I didn't realize I was being primed as a young child, um, witnessing probably some of the best hospitality you'd ever come across. And it was creating in me, honestly, the DNA yeah. um, and establishing something that now I put into practice every single day of my life. But it, was, it wasn't because I grew up necessarily in the quote-unquote hospitality industry. Mm-hmm. I was just exposed to it nice. at a young age through a, a personal experience with, with my own family. And so it's, a, it's been a wild ride to take that pool attendant position, work my tail off, learn. And I think the biggest thing for me was learning how to accept failing and, and being okay with it. Understanding that failing doesn't make you a failure. And that's part of the process. And the minute that, you know, our company now, I push my team hard to, to be creative, to think outside the box. I push them to fail. Um, I believe if we don't make mistakes, we're not pushing hard enough. That means that we're staying status quo and being way too complacent in the choices that we're making. And that's okay, right? As long as we learn from it, as long as we're failing forward, yes. then we're doing the right thing as a brand. And I've, I became okay with that. In the beginning, I was scared to death because I didn't know what I was doing. 
And I was just reading constantly and trying to learn from everyone around me. And I went up the ladder way too fast, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I, I put myself in a, in a position that I didn't want to fail, right? I, I didn't want to screw up because this was my opportunity. And when I finally did, I had to learn how to be okay with it. And I had to learn how to, how to, how to learn from it. And that helped push me to the next thing. And I went on from Ritz Carlton, uh, became an exec for them, left Ritz Carlton, opened up my first restaurants and, and bars and did really, really well with it. And then I failed really, really hard um, to the extent of, I mean, I failed really hard um, and, and that was okay. It was embarrassing. It was humbling. It put me back in, a, in the place I needed to be from a, a, a mindset standpoint. I was young and I found a little bit too much success too early and, and thought I knew what I was doing and I really didn't. Um, and that was part of the process. And I look back now, I had someone ask me recently, if you could go back, what would you change in this process? And I said, absolutely nothing. Yeah, I wish I would have made better choices. And, and along the way, as a human being, I'm sure I hurt people at different times. And, and yeah, you never want to see that. But if I had to go through everything I've went through, to get me to where I'm at right now with where my brand is and how it's growing every single day, if that's what it took to get me to this place, then, then so be it. Then I'm okay with those choices and those decisions. So it's been a, it's been a crazy ride, but damn, it's been a good one too. Well, you know, it's interesting. You have a philosophy. You actually believe in making mistakes and failure is not failure. And I think you just explained that, but I love your philosophy about you push your team to fail. And that, that, brings up a huge difference between the word manager and the word leader and the word delegate and the word empowerment, you know? And obviously any manager can delegate and tell somebody what to do, but it's the rare leader that can empower the team, push them to fail, give them the opportunity to grow and recognize and reward their successes after they learn from their failures. I think that's a beautiful philosophy. You know, leadership, I'm obsessed with it. I'm, yeah. I'm a big reader. Um, I yep. read constantly and I'm reading books on, on leadership and understand the mm -hmm. psychology behind it. My father was a psychologist, so um, oh, it's very much something that I'm, I'm you know, I've been yeah. around my entire life. But leadership for me is the ultimate mantle to, to be placed upon you. Um, the, the pressure of truly being a leader and understanding what that means and what your role is. I think that's a, it's a lost art. Um, in many cases, people are chasing after positions and titles yep. versus understanding what is your actual role when you get the opportunity to oversee other individuals, which means that it is, it is my job, I believe, as the CEO of my company to wake up every day and maximize my team's talent beyond what they ever thought they were capable of. It's my job to see things in them that they didn't realize they were they had inside them. It's my job to clear the path for them to allow them to be great. It's my job to get out of their way, right? It's my job to, to hire amazing people and let them be phenomenal, help give them a roadmap, give them the tools to be successful, but get out of their way and let them be great. Let them fail and then let's learn from it as a team. How can we be better next time? And let's push and be better. But I want to expose people to things they've never been exposed to. There's nothing great. There's no greater satisfaction for me than seeing other people win. Like the, the, the idea that someone else needs to fail for me to be successful is, is a complete opposite and contrary to what I believe and what we believe at Ellis Adams Group. 
I want to see people win. I believe there's enough win out there for all of us. And the more that we can attach ourselves to others, whether it's within my company or not, and help them succeed, then that's what I want to do. There's, there's, I don't know anyone that's ever reached out to to me and my organization, whether it's through our info at ellisoundgroup.com that gets forwarded to me, that I don't try to respond to everyone. Had someone this week that reached out via LinkedIn that said, hey, man, I, I read something on Forbes that you wrote. I'm, I'm struggling trying to figure something out. Is there any way I can get 15 minutes of your time? Done. And I did a call and spent 45 minutes on the phone just helping them figure out what, where they're going because- Beautiful. That's our that's our purpose. That it, that's my purpose at least, and I can't speak for everyone, but that's what I believe that I'm here. I'm I'm placed here to do. Well, you're elevating others and the industry at the same time, and there's a gratifying um, feeling that comes from being you know being that type of person and getting that type of satisfaction from within, and it's genuine. That's that's a beautiful thing. I'm glad you shared that for sure, and it obviously comes through in your leadership style, and I'm sure your people appreciate that because. It's rare. You know, I, I come across a lot of managers, not so many leaders that have that philosophy. And I think everyone could take a lesson from what you just said in how they run their operations, whether they have one restaurant or a hundred restaurants. It's like, wow, listen to your people, take care of what they need, fix what's broken, you know, recognize and reward and really give them the opportunity to succeed after they learn from failure. That's amazing. Yeah, and I mean, man, I think that we're (laughs) part of what we're dealing right now in the hospitality industry. And we talk about the 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 labor struggles across Mm -hmm. the board. Um, In my personal opinion, it's if we really pull the pull the 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 skin of the onion back, right? Um, The layers. It got very little to do with money. It has a lot to do with people. It has a lot to do with we stopped investing in people. We stopped caring about their future. We don't ask questions. We don't. We don't try and figure out what's their five and ten year plan of where they want to be. When we hire people in hospitality, of what it's been up to this point, it's I'm slammed. I got to get through tonight's shift. Are you available? And and it, it, you're you're getting me through today. Versus, yeah, are we right. really investing in our people? Do we care mm-hmm. about their future? And do they feel valued in our organization? And I think the minute that I got asked yesterday. How are we going to fix this? I was like, well, one, there's not some you know magic eight ball answer of how this is going to get done, and it's not going to. There's not going to be a flick of a switch where everything just gets turned around. I said, but we teach when we're in the field on how do we drive revenue in our restaurants, right? And we always say the easiest way to drive revenue in your restaurant is that the minute that our guests trust our team members, you can write a check for anything you want. When our guests believe that that server is the absolute best server there is because their knowledge, because they don't have to go ask the chef questions about the menu. They can rattle off exactly what the guests are asking for. When they believe that bartender's knowledge about what they're getting is the absolute best, they know exactly how to make the cocktail, the history of the cocktail, the nuances of the bourbons. The minute that trust is established, revenue follows. Well, interestingly enough, that's what we Hmm. train in in our restaurants. Okay. Well, if we want to learn how we're going to fix this labor issue, we got to learn how to build trust back with our teams to come back into our organizations because right now they don't trust us. They don't trust what they've gone through. They don't trust the fact that the minute that the pandemic hit, 
without the blink of an eye, people were dropped like a bad habit, when, whether it's furloughs or, and look, I get it. We have to be good stewards and run our business you know, the best way we can to stay alive. Right. At the same time, did we handle situations the right way to make our teams feel as though they were valued? They were a valued piece of our organization and they were vital to our long-term success. Until they trust us again, this will not change. And that's a big piece that we've got to figure out how to build trust back for those that we want to come back. Not answering your phone is one of the quickest ways for your restaurant to lose a potential customer. But between serving in-person customers and dealing with the kitchen, it's hard for staff to prioritize incoming calls. That's why your restaurant needs pop menu answering. Simple questions that keep your phone line tied up can be handled without pulling a staff person from your in-person hospitality. Reclaim the power of your phone. Pop Menu Answering is powered by artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions most people call in with, like, do you have outdoor seating or what are your hours? Within the Pop Menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear, plus create customized greetings. Pop Menu Answering picks up your phone 24-7, 365 days a year, turning every phone call into an opportunity. Plus, Pop Menu's full collection of tools helps optimize your restaurant's website and menu, streamlines your ordering experience, and assists in retargeting to enable you to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. Get help answering your restaurant's calls now with Pop Menu Answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash rockstars. So trust is really the key to reinventing that whole model is what really needs to happen. The hospitality model needs to be reinvented because... Of all the chaos we've been through in the past two years, we thought the COVID thing was almost over, and it is, but now the labor crisis is the biggest challenge, and hospitality is kind of taking a back seat because short-staffed operations can't serve the guests to high expectations when they don't have the staff to do so. I mean, what a problem, right? Yeah. And look, there's, there's 50 other things that we need to fix on top of that, but I believe the core that we need to establish, which is the foundation of everything else we're going to build on. Do we need to fix the way that we pay and the structure and benefits and a hundred percent? No, no doubt about it, but it starts with trust. I don't care how we restructure everything. If they don't trust us, they're coming back with it constantly giving a side eye of when, when are you going to drop the hammer on me again? And that's never a way to, to build the foundation of any company. So how does a leader, a manager at any level really change the mindset, a paradigm shift so that the the people that work for him are more inspired and they're more motivated to do what needs to be done in the short term, but then somehow get that trust factor back? Because, you know, we're still going to over rely on people when we're short staffed right now to, to go the extra mile and to really put it in. And we're beating up our people right now. I mean, they're exhausted, obviously, because they've had to pick up the slack for all the people that aren't there. You know, that's a real delicate balance. I mean, do you have any ideas how we can reestablish trust other than our approach to leading them and, and how we listen to them and communicate? I think communication is key, clearly, but I don't want to yeah, answer for you. No, no. Communication's key. Um, listening. Yep. Um, l- l- truly listening. Ask questions, not with the intent of giving a response, but listen, mm-hmm. right? Let, let's hear what they have to say and make sure that we're, we're taking into consideration those things that they're telling us. Um, the next thing is we're going to have to take it on the chin for a minute, right? 
it, our margins might not be as good as we'd like them to be on the front end because we've got to prove, we've got to earn back the trust of those that are around us. We've got to celebrate our people and we've got to invest in them. We have to invest in them. I don't care who you are in what, um, what you do for a living. We have made such a horrible mistake in the hospitality industry of not continuing to invest in our people. And that, that's a huge issue that's, that's happening right now. That is, we're bringing people into our, we're begging people to come into our organization. Exactly. But we're not giving anything to them for them to want to continue to pursue, to continue to push themselves within our organization. And that is a huge problem. I mean, can you imagine going into any role outside of hospitality, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a um, a, a lawyer, attorney, and you've given you've been given no tools to succeed, right? You've been given no tools to succeed. You've been given no uh, ability to go out and actually do your job to to a high level, and and they just sit you out there on day one and go, "Hey, you're in the courtroom tomorrow. Good luck." I mean, that's you think about that and you go, "No, that that would never happen. That sounds ridiculous, right?" Yes. Yet we do it. Every single day in the hospitality industry, I can remember you talked about you'd become a bartender and you, you literally got promoted from dishwasher to bartender. Uh, a similar situation for me, my first bartending gig was there was no training. I showed up, but the other guy didn't. Oh. The only thing I knew about bartending at that time was the lady ordered a cosmopolitan and it needed to be pink. So I kept pouring stuff until it was pink. And I assumed, well, damn, I must be a mixologist now. Right. I mean, that was, that was solve <laughs> all the problems. Yeah. I had no clue what I was doing yeah. yet. 20 years later, you've got bartenders that you ask them, what formal training have you had? How much investment was done for you to be the master of your craft? And they look at you like you've got three heads going, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I show up every day. I just kind of learned over time. I had Bill that was here before me and he seemed to be halfway decent and he kind of showed me some stuff. And now 22 years later, I'm a bartender. That's that's, And then we sit back down in a labor shortage and go, well, I don't know why they don't trust us. <laughs> We've invested nothing in them. We've asked everything of them. We've asked them work nights, weekends, uh, you know, we, it's thankless to every holiday. And then we wonder why they don't want to come back. You know, it's, Yes. Crazy that we still think that. Well, going back to that empowerment thing, it's great if, an, if a, a leader can recognize the fact that people will, everyone works for a paycheck, of course, but they also work for praise and recognition, but they also work for more responsibility and a chance to feel like they're valued in an organization. And I always had success incentivizing people to rise up. And if you came up with a great idea that saved us money, that was an additional profit center in our restaurant, anything that could be trackable in terms of a return on investment, I gave those people a percentage of everything we could track that came in. And that did wonders for us, you know, and we built this dream team staff in what is normally considered a high turnover industry, you know, so things like that. And I'm sure you can relate to that. And I'm sure you've got your own stories about what you can do to and develop management talent as well. I mean, you can take someone with absolutely no experience that came from a different industry, but you recognize something special in someone and you could see that they got leadership potential and they have the wherewithal to take on some additional responsibility. You give them that chance to fail, but you nurture them and develop them along the way. And overall, you're going to come out on top and those people are going to be better for it and your organization is as well. So I'm a huge believer in what you're saying. 
Yeah, you've got to, I mean, what you're talking about is we got to think outside the box, right? It just, we, we have to yeah. be creative in what we do. And I heard somebody say yesterday, which was phenomenal. It said, meet people where they're at, right? Not mm. everybody has yep. the exact same path to get to where they're trying to go. Not everyone wants to be the manager. Not everyone wants to be the director. Not everyone wants to be the general manager. But that doesn't mean that they don't want to progress in their career in some capacity. So we have to think outside the box to say, well, okay, you don't want to become the general manager. What do you want to do? Well, man, I really just want to do X, Y, Z. Well, you know what? I can make that happen and get you more money without you having to be the general manager. Right. So I think sometimes of just saying, well, hey, the path to get from, from, from one to 10 is one, two, three, four, five, and that's just the way you get there. Instead of saying, hey, how, what path do you want to take or where do you ultimately want to be? And how can we figure out and get creative in, in putting you in a place that, and I always say that your passion has to intersect with what your purpose is and what your natural talents are. We cannot, there, there's a saying that I, I'll, I'll say often that says, be careful to never let someone else's passion cause you to pursue their purpose, oh, right? Wow. Which says, be careful that we don't yeah. look based on social media and Instagram that I'm pursuing someone else's passion because that looks fun or I like the car they drive or I wish I had that lifestyle. If that's not your purpose, you have to get honest with yourself to say, what am I naturally gifted at? What is that just that God given? I don't know why I just happen to be good at this and figure out how do you connect that with what you're passionate about. The minute you can do that, it's game over and money will follow. Restaurant owners and managers, I call this the business of a thousand details. And you've got more important things to worry about than calculating and paying your monthly sales tax on time. Well, that's where Davo comes in. Davo puts sales tax on autopilot for restaurants. Davo uses sales tax data from your point of sale system to set aside the exact amount of sales tax you collect every single day and then files it and pays it when it's due on time for your restaurant every month. Davo takes just five minutes to set up, and once it's up and running, you never have to worry about paying sales tax again. Davo costs $49.99 per POS connection per month, and your restaurant can try Davo for the first 30 days free. Davo was created by a successful restaurant chef and owner who knows what's important for your operation. Time is money, and you've got more important things to focus on, like pleasing your guests. You can't put a price on peace of mind. Why not try Davo for the first 30 days at DavoSalesTax.com? Yeah. But when we chase after other people's passions because we're pursuing what their lifestyle is, yeah. it is going to be a lonely road with constant failure that's not letting you fail forward. And that's, that is a place you don't want to be. I made that mistake after graduate school. You know, I went to a business school and it was so uber competitive and everyone thought when they got out of school, they were either going to be CEOs of Fortune 500 companies or they're going to rule the world. And that was the mindset for those two years I was there. So when everybody got out, it was this big competition. Who was going to have the biggest paycheck? Who was going to have the best title? All that kind of stuff. And I pursued some opportunities that just were not right for me based on what you just said. So it's absolutely yeah. true. Should be what what really lights you up inside? What's your passion? Find your true purpose and apply yourself to that. You'll be happy every single day. And like you said, the money will follow. So absolutely spot on. That's that's absolutely true. Let's talk about how you got to found Ellis Adams Group. Are we missing anything in the middle? And again, um, 
luxury hospitality is a specialty, and now that is your expertise. So tell us how you made these relationships with these premier properties around the globe. You've got a, I'm sure you have a crazy travel schedule, but tell us about what, you know, what your typical life is like. But first, how did it all begin for you? Like, where did it, where did it connect the dots it, for us? Yeah, you know, it, it started as a pool attendant with Rich Carlton and understanding mm-hmm. what what the culture was of Rich Carlton at that time. And it was about, um, there's a story that I always tell when I first started of them helping me understand truly what Rich Carlton is. And it goes, it basically said, if the guest wants a pink elephant, get the guest a pink elephant. If you can't find a pink elephant, get a horse, paint it pink, convince the guest it's an elephant. And what they were, <laughs> awesome. what they were telling me was, I don't care what you have to do. Yeah. Just whatever make it takes. the guest happy. Mm. I don't care what your title is. I don't care if you're the general manager, if you're the steward, the housekeeper, the bartender, you have one job. Don't get it twisted. Your right. job is to make people happy. That's it. And when I understood that it, it was a game changer for me on my outlook of what I was doing. I wasn't doing it for money. I didn't even understand the tip process. I didn't understand if I did something and people would hand me a $20 bill. That was confusing to me. I was told you get paid $7.50 an hour and it was my job to make people happy. And I was like, cool, got it. So it really started with me of understanding what the culture was of Ritz-Carlton during that time. And that's been the foundation of everything I've done since. I can tell you that I have a soft spot for Ritz-Carlton because of that. My brand doesn't exist without that initial opportunity that I was given for the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company. and along the way of realizing that that's, I get it. That's just my, I understand it. And the thing that I started to understand is, and you had asked this question kind of earlier is what is luxury, right? And when we talk about luxury, most people think about luxury from the standpoint of marble floors and chandeliers and over the top opulence. Luxury is nothing more than a feeling. That's it. Luxury is a feeling. It's how you make people feel. And I don't care if you're at a select service hotel or if you're at a Ritz-Carlton, a Mandarin Oriental, a St. Regis, Mm -hmm. how you make them feel determines their experience. And when we talk about luxury, that feeling there, you know, there's actual data that's out there that talks about when you go into a luxury store. So I'm going to use, um, Christian Louboutin and their red bottom shoes that, you know, you're going to spend $1,500, $2,000 for a pair of these shoes. There's actual data that says that when you walk into the store, after you've swiped your credit card and they hand you that bag with those red bottoms in it, that you physiologically leave the store walking differently than when the way you walked in. And it's only because something's happened in our brain that makes us feel something. That's all luxury is. If I can make you feel something in those feelings, you know, sometimes it might be marble floors, sometimes it might be chandeliers, but I could tell you the majority of those feelings come from the ladies and gentlemen that are on the property. It's the arrival experience when the door opens and they say, Mr. Adams, it's so great to see you again. We've missed you. That's a feeling you get on the inside the minute that they say that. It has nothing to do with the marble floors. It's the fact that they're doing certain things to make me feel a certain way, which reminds me. That's why I pay top dollar to be at this place because of the experience and how it makes me feel. And I think, 
brand building is a huge part of that as well, because brands mm -hmm. elicit a certain image and aura that they guest the customer has in their mind that they want to be a part of there's a certain affinity between a brand and a guest or a customer wouldn't would you agree with that and what what's sure. your thought on that sure yeah i think that's part of the feeling you're talking about even though the people are the ones that de de that deliver the feeling it's all part of the package it's the music that you know that you hear it's the it's the aromas in the store you know if it's a retail environment it's like all these things that, that elicit a, a feeling in the customer and then the creme de la creme is the hospitality delivered by the person you're interacting with that then delivers the goods the message whatever it is right you hit the nail on the head uh, if you can if we could take the sensory experience right and we have we have five senses essentially as a human being the first four senses that are touched by a human are the most important the fifth sense is what we pay most attention to in the restaurant business and is the one that matters least and the fifth sense is taste and we focus all of our attention on what's our food taste like what are our cocktails taste like but i can tell you right now if you blow the first four if it doesn't look amazing and it doesn't smell amazing and it doesn't sound amazing and it doesn't feel amazing when I touch it. No one cares how the chicken tastes. I'm just being honest with you. If yes. I had to choose, okay, I will take a concept that is crushing it on the ambiance, on the feeling that they're creating the moment that you walk into the doors. The lighting is dead on. The decor is perfect. The architecture of the space is dialed in. The aroma of the space speaks to the story that you're trying to tell. When I touch the menus, the paper that, that they're using pulls through the store. If I nail all that, I will take that over a place that says they've got the best food any day of the week because taste is an opinion. I can't, there's nothing I can do about your palate. Nothing. I can make you a cocktail right now and I can have 10 people say it's the best they've ever had. I could have 10 more people say it's too sweet, too savory, too salty, you name it. There's no right or wrong answer. It is an opinion. I do not want to gauge my entire business model on an opinion. I want to be able to control it based on an experience, which I can control in steps one through four, the first four senses. I cannot control taste. How many places can you can name? I guarantee you 10 places right now that have, if I blindfolded you and, uh, and tasted the food, you go, it's mediocre, yet they're packed every single day because the experience they deliver is dead on. And you go back for the experience. You don't go back for the food. Now, I pray to God I have a great chef that delivers a phenomenal food experience and bartenders that nail it on the cocktails. But I can tell you right now, if you don't focus your attention on delivering the first four sensory experience, the taste doesn't matter at that point. That's incredible. I get it completely. That is a unique perspective, but it is absolutely true in common sense. But most people wouldn't approach it that way. You know, I mean, that is out of box thinking in and of itself. Opinion. Taste is an opinion. And you got to nail all those other elements. Yep. Yeah, we miss. I mean, Lord, we yep. open hotels every week. My team is, you know, I'm, I'm right now sitting in Guadalajara at a luxury hotel that's opening next Monday or Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And we'll open last year, 300 plus hotels this year, so probably close to the same. And we miss the mark so many times where we assume that if we just build a hotel, design a hotel, that's, that's pretty, pretty good, that that's enough. We, we got these great chefs in here and that's enough. And I'm like, if we're not focusing attention and spending hours looking at our lighting package, that that lighting 
is actually adjusting from the time the guest walks in until the time they leave. That experience, that lighting should be altered throughout the day. We in the hotel world, we 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 want to push a button that says, oh, Chris, it's on a timer. At 6 a.m. it's this, at 10 a.m. it's this, at 2 p.m. it does this, at 6 p.m. it adjusts again. Then I go, is that how the sun does it? Does it just take you from A to B, the sun, or does it gradually happen from the time you wake up until the sun set? It's just uh, through a, a natural experience. Your lighting in your restaurant should be the exact same way. It shouldn't be, I should not be sitting there and happen to be there at 10 a.m., when it goes from 80 to 60% and you kind of look around and go, oh, I guess the, the lighting just changed. I shouldn't feel it. It should naturally just evolve throughout the course of the day. Our music, what we're playing, does the music tell the story of the concept and the, that, you, that you've got for your guest? And the music should be changing from the time I come in at breakfast. I shouldn't be listening to the same music when I'm at happy hour. And that happy hour should be different from the late night model. When I've finished dinner, I'm having a great time and I want to have a nightcap. Are we thinking about the details that are truly impacting our guests? Those are the deep, those are those little things that make such a huge difference on that experience and the feeling that we give them, which then dictates the dollars they spend. We chase dollars like crazy without doing what's necessary to actually ask for the dollars from our guests. And that's the part that we miss and we scramble around nonstop trying to figure out how to make more money, but we're not doing the things necessary to actually attract it. After opening hundreds and hundreds of hotels, some would say, oh, after a while that becomes routine. But I'm <laughs> hearing that you have to keep raising the bar and where do you raise that bar and how do you keep raising the bar after everything you've learned in hundreds of luxury experiences? It's like, where does it ever stop or it's constantly reaching to reinvent what luxury is and how do we top what we just did last week or last year? You know, it's like, how do you do that? Well, uh, for me, it's, I never forget what my purpose is. You know, part of my purpose is the strategy behind it is creating great experiences, you know, opening beautiful hotels, but that's not my purpose. That's part of the formula. Mm -hmm. But my purpose is to impact people's lives. Right. My purpose is to walk away from a hotel and have a bartender that says, man, I didn't realize what I was capable of. It's walking away from a hotel and seeing having a manager come to me and go, man, I, I want to be X in five years. Help me get there. I didn't even know that's what I wanted in life. That's my purpose. So if every time I open a hotel, if I'm still fighting the same battle of, we got to fix the lights. Your yes. music's not right. Yeah, sure. People think it's routine, but at the end of the day, that's not my purpose. My purpose is, are we impacting people's lives? And I know that sounds crazy because Chris, you're opening a restaurant, a hotel. Does that really matter? Yeah, it does. I want to see, I'm looking at, I'm looking at bartenders and servers that are single moms and single dads and, and, and fighting to have a great life that want to give opportunity to their family that are taking care of grandparents and struggling to make ends meet, they don't need to live that way. How can I help them maximize where they're at to be the best version of themselves? That's my purpose. And if that means I got to figure out lighting every, every four days in another hotel, then so be it. But the minute I forget my purpose, then it becomes mundane. Then it becomes, you forget why you do it. You, you lose the passion for it. Is it really necessary? I can never forget why I get up every day and do what I do. Is part of your formula then monitoring performance and excellence? And how do you measure those things? And how do you 
go back, you know, six months or a year and see what might be broken, even though the benchmark was set, everyone understood what the benchmark was, but we're still just people. We do make mistakes. We do have bad days. It's like, how do you maintain that high level of excellence and who monitors that within your properties? It's tough. It's very difficult being completely transparent. And I can tell you, we did a study internally on this. And we said we had we had 60, 70% of property that we're opening that weren't performing at the level that they should. And at first it was a, man, what are we doing? Like we're failing, right? We need to go back to the drawing board. And we stopped and said, wait a second though. I've got 70%, let's say that aren't performing, but I've got 30% that are knocking it out of the park. Mm-hmm. What's the difference, right? Yes. Let's go back and do homework and research. Give me, I'm a data junkie. I can't make great decisions without great data, right? So I said, I need to understand what is the difference? Is it a person? Is it one of our team members that's excelling? Why do we have 30% that's crushing it, 70% that's not? When the process of how we do things is pretty, we're, we're pretty process driven on how we do it, right? We went back and there was one common denominator across the board that made it very easy to understand what the issue was in the 70% that were not performing versus the 30% that were. And it comes back to our very first piece that you and I started talking about, and that's leadership. The minute that we don't have leaders in place that truly understand what their role is, no matter what you teach, it's not going to move forward. It is impossible to hold people accountable for something when you don't know what to hold them accountable for, right? And when you have leaders that don't really understand what their position and what their purpose is, you can you basically have set up a structure on quicksand that will never get its footing. It will never take it to the next level. You will never get consistency across the board because you don't have anyone at the top that's monitoring and ensuring that we have the consistent accountability of what's taking place. The biggest issue that we have with most individuals nowadays is people hate confrontation. They never want to have a tough conversation with someone. So as a result, typically the toughest part in in a process-driven organization, for us, it's a three-step approach. My dad helped create this for us that said, step one, if you don't have a written down process, it doesn't exist, period. If you don't have written processes, you do not have a process at all. So that's step one. We need a written process for everything we want to happen within our organization or or our concept or our hotel. Step two is the key to this actually working because step two says, I need accountability against the process, which create habits. If I don't have accountability against the process, the process is irrelevant. It becomes tacit approval, right? So if I have accountability against the process, I can create great habits. That leads to step three, which says now it starts to dictate the behavior of my team. If I have a process that says every single day, I need to put the cup to the right, not the left. And I have accountability on my team of making sure that, hey, guys, nope, not the left, the right. Nope, not the left, not the right. At some point, that accountability turns into a habit and they no longer think about putting it on the right. It now dictates their behavior and it automatically goes on the right. If my team doesn't have to think about the process of how to do their job, they can spend their time focused on the people, which is where we create the experiences. No one wants to do the accountability part. They don't like tough conversations. The easiest way for me and my team Um, Everyone on my team gets a book called Radical Candor, phenomenal book. If you never read it, I highly recommend it. And this book has been a game changer on how we operate, which says that 
at all times in my organization, my team has open and honest conversation because we trust each other. And they know that not just me, but we have each other's best interest at heart. And the way I explain to my team is that I, I have two daughters and they're, one of them's a teenager, the other one's um, finishing up college. And I said, I have, I have daughters and many of you have, you might have kids or, or nieces, nephews, whatever it might be. And I said, radical candor is this. If I see my daughters doing something that I know is going to hurt their future, do you think I'm going to stop them from doing it? I mean, am, I gonna, am I gonna say something to them? And the answer always without question is, well, of course. You know why? Because I love them deeply and I wanna make sure that I'm doing my best to protect them and guide them to have a successful future. And I do that knowing that there's the potential that my teenager is going to slam the door and tell me I'm an idiot and dad, you don't get it. You're a moron, all these things, right? But I'm okay with taking that heat because I have her best interest at heart. The minute we're at an organization and we have people that refuse to have tough conversations, we're essentially telling them, I don't care about you or your future. And I'm going to allow you to continue to make mistakes that will never put you in a position to succeed because I don't care enough. When you flip your perception and change your mindset of what those tough conversations actually are, and you have enough trust built with your team where they go, man, Chris just cares about me and he would never let me fail. It is a game changer for your organization. And the open and honest conversation you start to have, oh my God, it's eye-opening what you will find out, how you can make easy adjustments to your team to get so much more out of them just by having open, honest conversation, which makes that accountability piece so much easier. That's incredible. Let's talk about expectations. Now, high-end properties come with high-end guests that have high-end expectations. Sometimes you can't please certain people. Um, and I don't want to speak ill of anyone, but there are certain people that have wherewithal, but they also have a sense of entitlement and certain expectations <laughs> that no matter what you do, you can't meet those expectations. I'm sure you run into that from time to time. How do your properties deal with it? And what type of response is there? Do we take the high road, rise above it? How do we satisfy these people? How do we not make a scene? How do we avoid confrontation? And, and to add to that, we were talking about the labor crisis, and now these things are happening more frequently in restaurants, especially because prices are rising, restaurants are raising their prices, yet they can't deliver the same service and hospitality that their guests have come to expect based on the short staffing. So that problem is magnified in a high-end property when you're short-staffed and these people come in having certain expectations, and somehow it's nearly difficult or impossible to meet those expectations, if that makes sense. How would you answer that? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I always say that people don't care what it costs as long as the experience you're delivering is equivalent to the price point they're paying, right? right. So you yep. can you can charge $45 for a martini if you want to, <clears throat> as long as that martini has a $45 experience attached to it, right? Perceived great goose value. is great goose. Perceived yeah. value. That's it. Yeah. So when we talk about a luxury experience, we immediately go to price point, right? So I'm, you have an ADR, an average daily rate of $11, 12 dollars $1,500 at some of these reserves and, and well, that just means at the end of the day that the experience is attached to the price point. So when a guest arrives on property, if we're not paying attention to those little details, which is what creates the $12, $13, $14, $1,500 rate, 
the value that's when we start finding that's it that's when we start finding the issue where the guest says it's not that i'm mad that i expect more it's that you tell me this is what you do you sold me on experience on your website on the 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 marketing that you put out that you're the best of the best this is the the creme de la creme and you put a price tag attached to what you're selling right so go on to any website of any hotel right now and we have pictures galore of staged experiences to sell to the guests that are potentially coming to your area right you could look up 50 hotels in, in any city and go through the pictures that are all staged of fake circumstances to convince you to hit book now. And you hit book now based on what we're being sold, which has a price point attached to it. No one is sticker shocked when they show up and check into the hotel. All of us know nowadays, because we book through online resources for the most part, we know exactly what we're paying when we show up to the hotel. But what we're paying is based on a marketing campaign that says, you have sold me an experience based on that dollar amount. So when we don't deliver, it's because we're not delivering on something we told them we were, right? I had a a meeting planner at one point with Ritz Carlton that no one wanted to deal with. She was difficult. She was just a pain. No one wanted to deal with this meeting planner. And they said, Chris, you're assigned. (laughs) Good luck, right? Yeah. So meeting, yeah, right. So the meeting planner comes in. Next thing you know, we just, we hit it off. And end up building this amazing relationship. And at one point, we were at dinner together, and we were, we had a couple of glasses of wine, which had a little bit more liquid courage probably at that point. And I said, "Hey, I got a question." I said, "Why is it that no one wants to deal with you? Why do you have this um, this reputation that you're so challenging to work with?" And she goes, "Chris, she goes, it's so funny you say that." She goes, "I know, I know that I have that reputation." She goes. At no point have I ever asked for anything outside of what you told me you do. You guys fly me around the world to give me presentations on why I should bring my groups to your hotels. And you roll out the red carpet of everything that you're able to do and what you're capable of and how my guests, when they show up, are going to be blown away. And then I get on property and we're late to start the meeting or something that you said was going to happen didn't happen, but I'm the difficult one. All I've ever asked for is for you to be what you tell me you are. And when you look at luxury, for the most part, and don't get me wrong, there, there are guests out there that are beyond challenging, right? And they, no matter what you do, you're, you, know, you can never make them happy. And that's going to happen. And you, you chalk it up to the business that we're in and, and you, you let it roll off your back and know that you're doing the best you possibly can to exceed expectations and you move on. But if you play the percentages, The bulk of the guests that have issues with things that have gone wrong is because we are not living up to the story that we're telling prior to them arriving on property. That's it. 90% of the time, we've sold this mind-blowing experience and the guest walks in and says, man, I just walked down the hall and your wallpaper's torn up. You've got nicks all over the floor. My shower's not working right. I'm not asking for anything more than what you told me you were going to be prior to my arrival. So I think, again, changing the perception of the difficult guest, you know, we talk about, if you talk about Marriott specifically, bond, their Bonvoy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, their, their membership program, Yes, um, it's the largest in the world, right? I, I, I was in a meeting the other day and I, don't quote me on this, but I was, I was in the meeting and I overheard them say that there are more, there are more Bonvoy members 
Marriott Bump members than there are Amazon Prime members. That's amazing. That's pretty staggering. That's yeah, amazing, it right? It certainly is. Like, I would not have ever expected that. It's crazy the number of people yep. that subscribe to their loyalty program. Well, wow. you know, when you look at that program and you, like with any program, you work your way up the ladder, right? So you, you become gold or silver, then gold, then platinum, and then a, you become titanium elite, like, you know, the highest you can possibly get with Marriott. And I go, when you think about that guest that's a titanium elite, what did it take to get to that level? What did they have to do to achieve that status? So let's break down what, what does it really take? Because most people say, oh, they're, they're wealthier. They're like, no, 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 no. Those are individuals that are spending more time in a Marriott branded hotel than they do at their own homes, right? So I gave the example of a group the other day. We teach a workshop called the psychology of hospitality. And they said, uh, in that workshop, I talked about the fact that I'm here because I choose to be here to teach this class. No one forces me to be here. I came here because I want to be here. And the reality is at that point, when I was teaching that class, I hadn't seen my two daughters in almost three months. In almost three months, I was on the road straight, either opening a hotel, teaching workshops, speaking at a conference, you name it. And I do that because I care because I'm passionate about what I do, because I want to impact people's lives. So I spend more time at your hotels with that little M on it than I do with my own children. So when you put perspective on who these guests are, they, they assume we're family. They assume we know what they want because they spend 90% of their lives inside of our hotels. They know our sheets and our toiletries better than we do at most of our properties. So Changing your perspective and understanding, having the empathetic side of who they are as guests, which sometimes you go, well, those guests are the most challenging ones. Well, put yourself in their shoes for a minute. Be that guest for a minute that just took three red eyes to get to your hotel that hadn't seen their family in three weeks. And they walk into the place that's their home away from home as a titanium elite, and they can't get anybody to acknowledge them. No one knows their name. We've asked it four times at four different service experiences, and no one can remember who they are. No one knows, even though they stay 280 nights in a hotel, that they really like X or they hate this, and they don't like straws, but we keep putting straws in it. I'm just asking you for to care, man. That's it. I just want you to care about my experience. So for us, luxury, change your perspective. Be who we say we're going to be and deliver on what we say we're going to do and watch it shift, the dynamic shift. Watch the percentages shift. Yeah, you're going to have the handful out there that are tough to deal with. But for the most part, if we do what we say we're going to do, the guests are blown away and happy with that experience. That's foundational. And that's what every person working in the organization should subscribe to and follow on a daily basis. I think that would elevate any organization. That's, that's terrific. You know, your ideas come from something you call reflective thinking. Can you explain? Um, my past dictates my future, right? Um, my ability to, I wake up every day and I started this a, a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, mm -hmm. of understanding and realizing that my team takes their cues from me, right? There's certain days that you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, right? It's the old saying, and you don't know why you're just in a grumpy mood. Yep. And the, the minute that I get on that first phone call that when I'm in a funk, my team now 
the rest of their day is going to be determined based on how I I was on that call, which means that my clients are not getting the best version of my team because they're getting a version of me that woke up on the wrong side of the bed. So I have taken the approach of every single morning and I, I'm, I wake up pretty early. I'm not, I'm not the best of sleepers. I'll admit it. Um, and I, I, sometimes it's 10 minutes. Sometimes it's an hour. It, it depends on how my day is starting, but the first part of my day, every single day is to get me in the right headspace to ensure that I can maximize every single experience that I come in contact with until I put my head back down on the pillow. I never want to miss an opportunity because I'm letting my emotions dictate my behavior, right? We're emotional human beings, which means that a lot of times we make decisions based on something that happens in the moment, not realizing that that emotional behavior is many times affecting the next five, 10, 50 years of your life. You know, hypothetically, I'm going to give you a scenario. I wake up, I'm in a funky mood. I got some emails when I woke up that just, you know what? Today's not my day. And as I leave my house, I'm going to, I'm going to walk in. I'm just going to get myself a Starbucks. I'm just, and I'm in a, I'm in a funk. And in the process of going to Starbucks, there was an opportunity that I could have had to engage someone in conversation that could have been the biggest deal that my company has ever seen. That would have given me the opportunity to hire another a thousand people to put them in positions to change their life. And instead I walked past it because I allowed emotional behavior to affect the rest of my life. Simply because I let one day affect my decision making. Oh, Chris, it's one day. Yeah, but that's one day that potentially could have changed your life. I I do not let the the circumstances around me day in and day out affect what I'm doing in my behavior throughout the course of my day. I don't care what happens. I will not let emotional behavior take place. I can't do it. I I can't do it because I have too much of a mantle that sits on me for the people that depend on me for the rest of their lives. And that's a, so for me, when I think about, when we talk about reflective thinking, I know that 20 plus years ago, I made a choice sitting in a room at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company that changed the rest of my life. And I could have been sitting there going, why am I even here? I don't even know what hospitality is. This isn't my industry. I'm never going to do this again. Why does it even matter? And instead, I chose, I made a choice that day that I didn't realize 20 plus years later would put me in the position I'm in because of one choice I made on an unassuming day sitting in an orientation that now has affected not just my life, it's affected my children's lives. My, at some point, God forbid, my grandchildren's lives, it's affected people that work for my organization and their families' lives, all because as a young kid, I made a choice on one random day sitting in a room. I'll never forget that. I will never forget the feeling I had sitting in that room. And, and that, that was my first luxury feeling. And it had nothing to do with marble floors and chandeliers. The things that were being said on that stage spoke to me. And it made me feel something that forever changed my life. And I will never lose that feeling because it dictates my path um, every single day that I wake up. That's a true guiding light right there. Super. Let's talk about culture. Culture affects guests and culture obviously affects staff. And that's constantly evolving. And especially now during these challenging times, how do you see culture moving forward? And what do you see happening in the future? I mean, it's absolute necessity. I mean, if your organization doesn't have a have a culture, 
culture for me is the lifeblood. Culture is the DNA of who you are. Culture is it's the it's your it's your north star. Culture is that it's. I always tell my team. Somebody asked me the day on we're talking about social media, and they said, "Well, Chris, should we? Shouldn't we? We're thinking about doing this." And my answer was, "You tell me what should we do based on the culture of our company." Is that the right thing to do? Does it protect the brand? Does it tell the story of who we are? Does it convey the message to our guest of who we are as a brand? And if the answer is yes, is it legal, moral, and ethical? Then have fun, run. But the minute that you can't answer those questions and it affects the DNA of who we are as a company, then that should be the, the moment that you, you pump the brakes a little bit and say, let's reevaluate. Culture is that it's... You know, it's that weird thing that as you're growing up there, you don't know why, but you start to figure out what's right and wrong in life. And there's something that just your gut tells you, man, I, I shouldn't steal that, right? I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't take that because something on the inside of me tells me that's, that's wrong behavior. Values that's, you were taught, values you that, innately understood, right? That's it. That is the culture of a company. Hmm. It's the values. It's the, it's your guiding light. It's, I don't have to go ask the question if this is right or wrong because the inside of me tells me that's not what our culture, that's not the values of, of what we believe at this organization. So I don't even have to ask the question. I know exactly who we are as a brand, as a company, what we believe and what we stand for. When you don't have that, you've now given your team the ultimate wiggle room to make choices and decisions based on having zero values because they have no identity of what your organization is. So what story are you telling if there's no playbook that you've been given? So for me, one of the first things, if you're going to start a company, you need to understand what your values are and what the foundation is for that company when you're a company of one. Before you hire person two, 10, or 10,000, you damn well better know what you believe and the values that you place on your team member, because that's exactly what they're going to do moving forward. Are you able to find a balance in your life? Because it sounds like your career has an incredible amount of demand to it. Um, you've got tremendous attention to detail. There's probably no typical day or month for you. Although I would ask you, what is a typical day or month like in your life? But besides that, um, do you have any time? You mentioned two daughters. I've got two teenage daughters myself. I totally relate to that. And and you care and love them so much that you want to obviously nurture and raise them and give them opportunity and be there for them when they need you. Yet you're traveling quite a bit. So are you able to find a balance? Do you have passions outside your vocation? That's a quite a question. It, yeah. it covered a lot of bases, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I love golf. Um, okay. If you ask, what's my one? What's yeah, my one it. thing that I try to do? I, I yeah. love a round of golf. It gets me outside. Um, you know, it, it's a few hours to break away, typically with either yeah. friends or colleagues or something, where we can just laugh and have a mm -hmm. good time. Um, uh, balance for me is a little bit different. And the one thing I want to make, and I would press on anyone that potentially is listening right now or looking for advice is that you need to figure out what works best for you. You don't follow someone else's pattern. Don't use someone else's playbook. You need to help. You need to write your own playbook. And I have certain friends of mine that are CEOs and they, they black out certain times constantly for them to go to a beach or whatever it is so they can recharge their battery. And that's, that's what they need. That's their balance in life. So I think for everyone, you need to figure out what it is for you that recharges the battery. The biggest thing for me that I need to make sure of is that 
I have to, I have to pour out my cup every day. So my team can go pour out the cup to their, to the people that they're training or they're engaging with, right? If we're opening a hotel and I have first time Ritz Carlton, uh, ladies and gentlemen coming in that I've never been exposed to the brand. I have to pour into them for 10, 12, 14 straight days, which means my cup has to be full for me to pour it out. So I I have certain things that I do that fill my cup up, that keeps me, that keeps the batteries charged. And that's not the same for everyone. I'm not a I'm not the go lay on the beach kind of guy. That's not what recharges my batteries. It could be a round of golf. It could be an insane dinner, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, with some some friends that I can just have fun, open conversation, and we're we're getting to have a cool experience at a great place. I just had the opportunity a few weeks ago, um, myself, my significant other, and some friends of ours. We went to Alinea in Chicago, and that's that's one of my spots that recharges the battery. I get to see an amazing space that does over the top experiences that. Every person that you come in contact with is unbelievably engaging. And it, it reminds me what lo- that feeling, right? That feeling that I, mm-hmm. I'm like, they nailed it. They freaking nailed it once again. Coming out of a pandemic with a labor shortage, they still nailed it, right? So I find things that recharge my batteries that might not be typical for others. Um, so when we talk about balance. For me, balance is a little bit different. I, I get to do every day what most people save up their lives to go experience once. I mean, that's the way I, that's the way I view my life. I get to travel the globe. I get to stay at some of the best hotels on the planet. I get to eat at some of the best restaurants on the planet. I get to drink at some of the best bars on the planet. I get to do every day what most people save up for and take vacations to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So for me, perspective helps me keep balance in my life. Now. Do I wish I was able to spend more time with my girls? Of course. I, I think that that that's a given. I wish I could hang out every single day with them, especially now at the age they're at. We have so much fun together. Sure. At the same time, I hope and I pray that they recognize my passion and what I'm doing for others. My only hope is that those that are around me that I love that mean so much in my life, am I making them proud? Am I doing something? That they can go, he's making that. That's my dad. He's making an impact on people's lives. And does that mean that they have to kind of take back seat sometime for me to impact others' lives? It does. It does. But that's a part of the purpose and the calling that I have on my life. And that's not for everyone, right? I, I, I don't think that I don't want anyone pursuing my passion, all right? But for me, that's what drives me is knowing that I'm doing something to help someone else. And I pray that those around me, like my, my kids and, and my significant others, see that, identify it, and hopefully it makes them proud in the process. You may or may not see that now, but it comes full circle. We first started talking about your early influences in hospitality. We talked about your family being such huge influences on you versus you know being exposed to it in other areas or studying it, your grandparents and and the lessons learned and all those things. You know, they say that we're all products of our environment. So I believe that this the model that you're setting, the standards that you're setting, are being absorbed by your kids and they're learning a lot from you every single day and that you're going to be so you're already amazed by what they're achieving on their own but that continues to evolve and grow as we get older and 
you'll see, you know, it's going to make a huge impact on their lives and what they end up doing in their life. And it's all about, oh man, it's all about the lessons that, that you're passing on now that you may not see, but you're doing it every single day just by simply who you are and what your approach is. And that came yeah. really clear through this conversation. And I'm sure you have two daughters, so you, I'm sure you would identify with me saying that, mm. yeah, my, my oldest yeah. is about to finish college and, and, you know, makes phenomenal grades. She's graduating the honors. My youngest is about to go to college on a full ride. She makes, but Fabulous. I'll be honest with you, what makes me more proud than anything they've ever done is their heart. They have such a heart for other people and they're sensitive and they care about how their actions affect others. And um, That's rare. that that makes me more proud yeah. than anything they could ever do yeah. or any award they could ever win is just knowing that they have a heart for other people. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if that's, if, if that's what they've gotten out of doing what I do and seeing yeah. me do what I do and, and then, you know, so be it, it's a, it's a win. Integrity, character, and values are all coming clear in what you just said. Yeah. And you know what? My kids watch me fail. My kids have watched me make, stupid mistakes and personally and professionally. And, and we have conversation about that. And that's part of being a human being and it's accepting those things and loving people where they're at and, and being okay with making a mistake. Um, Don't let mistakes turn into, um, you know, a, a continued habitual behavior, but be okay with making mistakes and failing and coming up short sometimes and, and have a conversation about it. You know, everything in life right now is social media driven where we live in this fake facade world on Instagram where everything's, yes, you know, perfect. Know. And, and, but That's at cool. home, it's okay to, it's okay to talk about what's not good. It's okay right. to talk about what hurt. Wow. We've covered a lot of ground today, Chris. Have we missed anything, anything else you want to share with the audience? You know, I, I hope that anybody that's listening, um, it, whether it's inspiring um, or it motivates you or puts perspective or gives you ideas of things you could be doing within yourself or maybe an organization you work for or are running. Um, I, I hope that that what you're doing is a it's a resource for people. Um, and pay attention, listen. Um, don't be afraid of change, right? Change is inevitable, growth is optional. Don't be afraid of change. Um, be okay to fail. Push yourself. No, never underestimate what you bring to the table um, and, and push yourself. Go be something great today. Wonderful. Let me ask you one last question. If you were to put yourself in the position of a young person right now who was you when you were a pool attendant and someone who's just discovering you know, their passion for hospitality, what advice would you give them on how to rise up in an organization and to achieve great things if they're, you know, that's their singular focus, but yet they're starting off in a first job and put yourself in your um, shoe back then. One, man, you're crazy enough. You're, you're here at the right time. Organizations are, are craving, you know, yes. young talent that is passionate, right? So you're, you're here at the right time. If yep, that's perfect you, timing. don't be afraid don't be afraid to work, right? Don't be afraid to put a little sweat equity in. Um, delayed gratification is something long forgotten uh, nowadays with the culture that we live in. Um, but delayed gratification sometimes is a necessity in the growth process. Understand where you're trying to go, but be okay with it taking a little longer. 
right? You don't need the promotion every three weeks. Sometimes you got to go through the process. You got to learn some things. You got to you got to take it on the chin a few times. You got to get stuck washing dishes overnight because somebody didn't show up and experience what that feels like. Um, so don't rush the process. Sometimes rushing the process and putting yourself in a position that you're not prepared for is going to stunt your growth. It's going to keep you from ultimately getting where you're supposed to be because we have no patience. We live in a world where I can touch my phone and get an answer to a question in 12 seconds. So now as a result, we've applied that same mentality to everything across the board in our life when sometimes we need to look at our career path and have patience. Learn the most you can possibly learn. Surround yourself with amazing people. Don't ever forget or underestimate the law of association. Who you associate with is who you will become. If you want to be a doctor, spend time with doctors. If you want to be a CEO, find a way to get in their presence, listen to their podcast, whatever it might be, but don't underestimate the law of association and who you surround yourself with. And don't be afraid to put in the hard work on the front end so you could reap the rewards on the back end. People talk about entrepreneurship and people typically will never go that route out of fear, right? It's willing entrepreneurship I read many years ago is you're willing to do something for X amount of time so you can live the rest of your life like most can't, right? But most people aren't willing to put in the work on the front end. Everyone wants to talk to me now about my life now. They want to talk about the life that I get to live now, the places I get to stay, the things I get to do, the house that I might be able to buy. No one wants to talk about when I lived on someone's couch with no money. No one wants to talk about when I was willing to have my kids living in an extended stay motel because I believe so passionately about something I was doing that wasn't working at the time. No one's willing to put in the work that I did on the front end. They just want what I got on the back end. So if you're starting out right now, don't be afraid of the hard work and have patience. Have patience for where you're trying to go. Wow. Excellent advice, Chris. Thank you so much for being a great guest on the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Hopefully we'll do it again soon. I certainly hope so. Thanks so much for our audience for tuning in again. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. We can't wait to see you in the next episode. Stay well, everyone. Thank you, Chris, for being a great guest on the podcast and for sharing what is truly the definition of the word hospitality. Let's shift gears for a moment. Those who know me and follow this podcast know that for two decades when I ran restaurants, I was absolutely obsessed with profit. Well, I believe you should be as well. So if you were to head over to restaurantrockstars.com, we are giving away absolutely free three ways you are killing your restaurant's profits. It's powerful information that'll make an immediate impact in your organization and on your bottom line. And with that included is a free restaurant assessment. Whether you're starting your very first restaurant or if you're a veteran, you've been in business for a while and you have an existing restaurant, we have 40 or 50 thought-provoking questions that'll give you a whole new look at your business. And again, how you can up-level it and transform it and add to your bottom line profit. So check that out at restaurantrockstars.com. Thank you to the sponsors of this week's episode, Devo, Pop Menu, and the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.